Hello everyone, this is Jacob Hobio, the producer of The Apex. In this episode, Jan and RJ interview Shwez Bahati. Shwez is a graduate of Walsh University and is currently pursuing a degree in human factor psychology at Arizona State University. This is an emerging field of psychology. Believe it or not, Shwez was unaware of the field even existing until late in his college career. Since joining the field, he has done research for the Air Force, Army, and other government agencies. Listen to how Shwez offers advice on how to go against the grain, how to deal with changing majors and parents that may not understand, the importance of doing what you love versus what others think is right for you. If you want to support us, there are three ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash the Apex Podcast. Second, visit our merch line that is proudly partnered with Envision Clothing Company at envisionclothingcompany.com. Thirdly, the other is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from this episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your apex. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jan Almasy, and if my voice sounds a little bit different today, it's because my mom is hoarding cats inside of our house. <laughs> and <laughs> she did not tell me for two straight weeks, so I could have been taking Zyrtec this entire time. But Is that going to be the new soap scent? Yeah, this is <laughs> <laughs> cat dander. <laughs> Do but, you love the smell of your cat? <laughs> so this is actually an improvement over the last two weeks because, you know, my patients have been looking at me funny because my voice has been completely shot. And at this point, I just sound like a very um, deep, I could be a radio announcer right now. Or like a, one of those movie people in a world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? perfect. So as always, seated across the table from me is my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. R.J. Holiday. That's, a, that's the best intro I think you've given me yet. I feel like John Wick. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we were talking about kitties, though, not puppies. <laughs> they're all they're all little all the animals. Yeah, John I'd be Luke just protecting, upset protecting the animals. Yeah, but uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, we're re- it's been a while since you've been on a show. Mm-hmm. I think the last couple of shows that we released, you haven't been with us. The last, the last one, the last one we released, I was with Jim. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you were out of town. Yeah, there's a couple of them that you were out of town for when you recorded that I wasn't there. Stuff's just been busy, man. I mean, uh, between now and when we did the episode with John, the, the studio's done. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's that's a, a cool lot of thing. Time. So to, to let you guys know, we officially, I mean, we have opened our studio in downtown Canton, um, like 309 Court Street. It's going to be right on Centennial Plaza when that gets built. Um, but it's in the Innovation District, uh, the Innovation District headquarters right down here in downtown Canton, Ohio. Um, those are going to be pictures that we're going to start releasing uh, coming up, going into Christmas and going into the new year. But um, if you like Peaky Blinders, watch and pay attention to what Tom Shelby's office looks like. That'll be the uh, the only hint inspiration that I give as oh, to yeah. what our studio looks like. Um, but today, uh, I would like to start introducing our guest. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the um, major that our guest is currently pursuing after he achieved his bachelor's um, at Walsh University in psychology. Uh, so right now, he's at the Polytechnic Institute in Arizona at Arizona State I believe, right? So um, the the major itself is called human systems engineering. Okay, so right now, this individual is pursuing a master's in human systems engineering, 
And what that is, and I'm reading this directly from the ASU website here, is students become experts in human interaction with engineered systems by applying methods of experimental psychology and cognitive science. So some of the broad applications include aviation, um, consumer psychology, health and hospital safety, uh, learning, product usability, social cognition, and sports performance. Students will be able to customize their educational experience by creating a capstone project that highlights their research interests. Um, but they basically learn how humans influence systems inside of whether it's militaristic structures, corporate structures, sports structures. How does the human factor affect what a system is supposed to do and how it's supposed to operate, which I think is amazing because ever since we started Apex, our entire mission has been bringing the human factor back to communication, right? We want to bring that human voice back to communication. Um, so with that, I would like to introduce Mr. Shwayz Bahati. Thank you for having me on the show, guys. Nice Absolutely. to be here. Welcome <laughs> to the party, son. Thanks. <laughs> so um, me and RJ have actually both known Shwayz for a while at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I graduated from Walsh University as well, I believe the year after. You what are the uh, 2018? Yeah. Did you, no, we graduated, Did you graduate together? Yeah. Cool, cool. So I like... Because I was supposed to graduate in 2017, mm -hmm. and I was like having trouble remembering that. Where I was like, we graduate together. <laughs> Dude, we actually, did my ten year reunion for high school <laughs> is like in a year. So I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Where was I? So I was like, I assumed that like it was just oh, you know, Shway's graduated the year that I was supposed to graduate, mm -hmm. and then I was a bum and didn't graduate <laughs> till the year after, but. And the oh, only so, reason, you were, so you were there for the for the whole Apex speech and yeah, yeah. And that's how I remembered. Wow. <laughs> okay, remembered. okay. Yeah. Well, what did you what did you think? Just out of curiosity, the the speech. Yeah. Uh, He's like, nah, I was like, nah, I was crap. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at this point, I can't really remember it because uh, it's been such a long time. Right. Um, I did listen though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I remember. I remember the one thing that you said was uh, a quote. Yeah, I think the maybe. A, Gentleman was a general or something, and he said the apex of my life is my death. Yes, Lieutenant Colonel Phil Brown. Oh, so yeah. he got the, he got the main point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the main point stuff. He took I the was spark, listening. The Sparknote version of it. So I'm yeah. out of here. Give me my diploma. Right. <laughs> well, and that's that's what I. You know what? And that actually does not surprise me at all. You know, so like when I gave the speech, I literally opened with, "Hey guys, the Cavs are winning." Oh. Like, just so you know, I know we've been sitting here for two hours, <laughs> but, like, everybody's watching the Cavs game on their phone anyway. Yeah. So, just for the people that don't have the balls to do that during Back graduation. Back when people watched Cavs games. <laughs> yeah, I was like, the Cavs are winning currently. So, just, just so you know. And then I even said in the beginning, I was like, for the short amount of time that I can attempt to hold your attention right now, here's what we're going to talk about. And that's the opening line. So, mm. that was the... Nice. Me holding the attention span for the first 30 seconds. Didn't um, that speech go viral? It, yeah, I, I mean that was, that kind of is what landed us here where we're at. Yeah. It was it was the uh, it went um, Goalcast picked it up on YouTube. So like if you if you go into their playlist, it's like Denzel Washington, me, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it's just like completely thrown off. It's like multinational movie star, small town dude from Canton, Ohio, <laughs> and then. Arnold. Like, Arnold. Like, Arnold. <laughs> I don't even need to say anything else. You just say Arnold. There you go. Um, so why don't you kind of tell me where you grew up mm -hmm. and kind of what what got you interested in psychology in the first place? Right. Um, well, I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Uh, so like 
here. Um, this is home for me, uh, even though I was born in Indiana. But this is all I remember. Uh, went to Cary Local Schools, went to uh, Whipple Elementary, then Pfeiffer, then Cary High School. And um, I guess I've always kind of, uh, growing up, uh, I was kind of a nervous kid. I was pretty quiet. And then, um, so in any kind of big gathering, whether it was like a family gathering or even in the classroom or something like that, I was always very quiet, but I was always watching people. Mm-hmm. And I was always studying like, you know, wh- what are they saying and, and why are they, they saying what they're saying? And I think when I got into middle school, I kind of broke out of my shell a little bit more and then started having, you know, my own group of friends and everything. And I was going to say like zero, zero part of me expected you to say that you were the quiet kid. Yeah, no, I w- like growing up, I was very nervous. I was I had a lot of anxiety just because, you know, I mean, I was a very sheltered kid. I didn't go out much. I didn't really experience the world a lot as a kid. I was a, stayed at home a lot. Um, but then, you know, middle school, uh, kind of like a different environment. And you're just with a bunch of people that mm. you, you don't know because they're all coming from different, you know, great school. Yeah. yeah. And so um, <clears throat> kind of just, like I said, broke out of my shell. And then uh, like the junior high and high school years, I always kind of just played the role of the, the person that people would go to if they had problems. You're like the empath. The empath. Almost. Yeah, exactly. I feel that 110%. I know yeah. RJ probably feels the same. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, you, are, you are in good company, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I took an AP psych class. Um, but I had a little bit of an issue starting college because my parents wanted me to be a doctor. So I, I, I figured, you know, I'll try it. And if it's, if it's, I'm good at it. Um, maybe I'll just stick with being a doctor, and I can still help people. Mm-hmm. And then um, my freshman year of college, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was bio pre med, and I, I mean, I hated it. I, I can't even like tell you one thing that I learned my freshman year from those. That's rough. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it, it was tough. It was I don't hard. remember freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> Period. <laughs> um, I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, I told my dad, like, because my, my, I had a good scholarship and my dad only had to pay, you know, uh, whatever was left, which wasn't a whole lot. And he wanted to. So I was like, you know, you're paying money for this and I'm here. You don't want me to work for you, but you want me to be educated. So I got I to gotta decide something else. Figure out something you like. Yeah. So, right. Rather I mean, than just dumping money into an empty hole. Right. So he asked me what what I thought I'd be good at, and I said psychology. Call of Duty. <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> I want to be a streamer. <laughs> Call of Duty. And so um, basically, when when I started psychology my sophomore year, I it wasn't it didn't take a whole lot of effort for me to learn mm-hmm. and get good grades. So I kind of stuck with it. I was doing the clinical route, but then I realized I don't really have a lot of patience. Gotcha. So I wanted to go into the research route. Okay. Nothing then, wrong with that. Yeah. And I, I figured, like, I could still have an impact and create a legacy through my research. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, and then when I, kind of, I was just looking on the internet, like, what can I do? Like, what makes money and what is fun? And um, after a while, my sister, actually, she kind of uh, messaged me a video of this guy. His name is Don Norman. He's talking about doors. Hmm. He has there. He he's famous. Like if you Google Norman Door, like you type in Norman Door on Google, 
This guy is just an old guy talking about like how doors are not intuitive. Like you don't know if you should push or pull. And oh, I do that all the time. Yeah, they're they're not they're and not. That's why they come with labels <laughs> most of the yeah. time. Even with labels, people still don't know what to oh, do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no. Even if you, I, even I if you put doors pull on the there, yeah. but it is a bar that runs like horizontally exactly. across, people will push. Exactly. <laughs> but if so, the bar is vertical, yeah. and you it, it, people will pull it. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's like a split second thing in your brain where like if you see it, yeah. you you your body instinctively like goes to what you right. should do, regardless of if there's a massive sign. Like at eye level, that says, "Please, God, <laughs> read this and right. pull the door. Do not push it, right. or the building will collapse." Because you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna look at the handle first before you read, anyway. Yep. That's the thing, and so you you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But this guy, Don Norman, I, I like Googled him. He's a super famous guy, father of user experience uh, design. And so when I told my professors I wanted to do human factor psychology, they didn't know what that was. Well, they, they didn't even know? Uh, they didn't know. They are like, what is that? I've never heard of that. And um, I talked to my advisor, Dr. Wayand. Shout out to Dr. Joe Wayand. Um, and uh, he kind of did some, he reached out to some folks at like University of Akron and some other people that had graduated. And he got me into contact with a few people that are now doing human factors. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm excited to be here to, so I can talk to you guys because I wish someone had told me when I was a freshman, which is something I could go into. It's interesting. It's it definitely in, well, that's, that's, a niche, interesting field that most people probably don't don't look at. Because yeah. I think when it comes to developing stuff like that, like, for example, a door, mm. I think a lot of people just assume that that's something that's worked out on its own. Right. That doesn't really need, like, specifically looked at. Like, <coughs> oh, well, you know, hopefully the people using the door mm. have two brain cells to rub together. Right. Well, maybe sometimes it, it takes a little bit more insight into why things are being done a certain way or mm-hmm. why someone looks right. at something like this. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely uh, – until <clears throat> until he had called me and told me that we were interviewing today, I'd never heard of what, what you were going to school for. So, Well, and, and the thing that I find super interesting is that, like like I said, I think that, that I'm super excited to dive into this because I think it fits into what Apex does mm-hmm. without us realizing that we're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, like when we, when we first started, cause I mean, we already kind of talked about how um, like we're all empaths in here almost. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And you, that definition is just the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes and understand yeah. why they're making the decisions they're making. Right. Because why they of, feel the way that they do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. factoring and everything. It's actually really creepy. Like, and I, I tell people, like, I try not to be. Like, I literally can't shut it off. Mm-hmm. Like, there was this, um, my friend Megan was texting me yesterday, and she's going through some issues. Like, um, she's a nurse that I work with, right? right? And she said, you scare me because you get people. Yeah. She was like, and I don't like being understood until right. I let people in. But right. she was like, you understand it whether I want you to or not. Right. And I was like, I don't try to do that. But I was like, I've been around her so much that like I reached out and just asked her like, Hey, like, are you okay? Right. And she was like, how did you even know something was wrong? And I just kind of explained like, well, you have these little ticks. Yeah. And I was like, and I noticed that they were off at work the other day. Right. She was like, what the hell? Leave me alone. Yeah. And I was like, I swear I don't get do out of my head. Like I'm not staring at people just like, I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> right. But like, there's just something that, that I pick up on. Intuition. Right. And, and it's intuition, but like, with the user experience side of things, mm-hmm. and this is going to sound very Gary V, but it's like, I mean, true down to my core. 
where it's like, I 110% believe that if we can bypass all the BS in between like message and end user, and you can learn how to empathize with your end user, yeah. then that's the biggest piece, especially with communication. So like with us, you know, I tell, we tell people all the time, we, none of us are traditionally trained marketing or communications majors, right? You have three, uh, like two hardcore science majors and then a science major mixed with management that are trying to run a communications business. Not a good mix. But so like, this is what I explain to people. Cause that's generally people's gut response. Yeah. Right. But like, so me, I'm a nurse with a minor in clinical psych. Yeah. And so like, my entire training is being able to empathize with an end user in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Cause like with a patient, I have to be able to figure out what they need to hear or what they need to understand like as quickly as possible in order to form rapport. Mm -hmm. So, and then the clinical psych background helps me understand why they're feeling the way that they're feeling so that I can kind of plug in, you know, where are they on the um, like development chart? Right. You know, what stage of life are they going through? What are they potentially afraid of because they're, you know, 30 years old versus 60 years old. Yeah. Um, and then Popio was a bio pre-med major. And so he's really, really good at problem solving. Yeah. I mean, like he can sit down and look over a bunch of data and just be like, okay, this is where we need to plug this in here, which I suck at because mm -hmm. I hate looking at data. I'd rather interact with people. Yeah. And then RJ like has all of this management experience which we recently discovered like a month or two ago because we completely <laughs> forgot about it. But it's like, oh, like you've been managing a doctor's office for the last however many years. Why have we not been capitalizing on that? Right. Um, so like between those three people, we're able to take, say, like a business and understand, you know, what people need to hear and how they need to have it presented to them in order for you to be able to communicate effectively. Right. Which is essentially like... User experience, yeah. which like blew my mind when we were on the phone. I was like, dude, like yeah. we're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know we were doing that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know it had a name, mm -hmm. but we're yeah. doing it. Right. So like, amazing. so when you first discovered like that human factors was a thing, like yeah. you watched the Don Norman video right? and you were able to reach out to these people mm -hmm. um, that, that were in that field, like what did that do for you as far as like validation that this was a field that you could go into? Like what, what did that feel like knowing that you finally had like a path? Cause I know that like getting thrown off the pre-med path was probably yeah. like, you're kind of in limbo a little bit. So right. once you were able to nail that down, what was that like? I mean, it's going to sound really cliche, but I felt like I made it. I was like, this is it. Like mama, I made it. Mama <laughs> made it. <laughs> That's what I'm I felt like. It. I, I really felt like, you know, I found something that I can do for the rest of my life. And I don't care, like, I don't care if I got to go to another country. I don't care, like, if I have to travel. I don't care about finance or anything. Like, this is something that I'm going to succeed at. Hmm. There was, like, I nothing like stopping me. And, that, and then, like, I got into ASU, and I was, like, it wasn't even a thought. I was, like, okay, I'm going. Like, leave, I'm going to leave it this place that I've been at for, what, like, 17 years? Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to go right. to another place where I don't know people, but, like, you know what is going to happen, and so I, I really felt like um, it was. I don't know. It was. It's weird. Like I did, it wasn't exciting, but it was peaceful. It was like this is like I found something. That's you have to have extreme me. confidence in what you're doing to uproot your life like that. Yeah. No one. No one who's wavering on what they want to do for the rest of their life is just going to kind of say, 
Unless you're insane. I'm just like, I'm just going to move. I'm just going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, sure. I don't even know if I like what I'm doing, but I'm going to drive all the way out there to go and do this. Right. Well, and that's a beautiful thing right there. I mean, like before we even really dive into the human, the human factors and like that major and everything and what your experience has been at ASU. Right. I really want to talk about the fact that like something that I wish was spoken about more Mm -hmm. was and I'm really passionate about this is like the fact that you don't need to like be shoved into school right away as an 18 year old mm-hmm. kid. Yeah. Because like 18 year old kids, I I know I was stupid. Like I didn't yeah. really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, nah, like this is fine. But so like I kind of fell into nursing, but if that hadn't have happened, I would have wasted 15 grand yep. going to Walsh freshman year. And that's, that's a far too common story that I hear all the time. Right. Or oh, like $30,000 like down down the shitter yeah. because uh i thought i liked this and then started taking the classes and then all of a sudden i maybe i like maybe i liked it or i didn't like it or maybe i'm just not not good at it or it's not something that you know warrants my my time and abilities right. to actually right. or accomplishing have, what i want to do know, parents that are pushing you in a certain yeah. direction or anything yeah. else which i mean he explicitly talked about right yeah. but yeah. like there's there's one of two things that could have happened right there. Like you could have tried to gut it through and then potentially made it all the way to becoming a physician right. and then hated your life yeah. for the rest of your life because it's not something that you felt intimately connected with. Right. That it wasn't, you know, it's almost um like you you're just disconnected from the job. Like you're not actually passionate about your work. You're just doing it to satisfy social norms. Mm-hmm. Or you try to address it early on and like Except that, you know, it's okay that I, this isn't necessarily where I fit. I'm going to purposely try to find somewhere that I do fit. Right. Mm. Like, if you can find where passion meets, like, logistical sense, yeah, that's a beautiful place to be. Right. So, like, that process, I know that there's probably kids out there, because I know that there's, like, um high schoolers that listen to this show mm-hmm. uh, just because of my brother and other stuff like that. So if you were talking to a high school kid and right. they were trying to figure out how to talk to their parents about the fact that they're like not wanting to do what they're like either being forced to do or what they thought they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I know some people are like, Oh, I can't go back now. I've been telling people for the last five years that I wanted to be a doctor. Like there's no yeah. way I can go to school to be an electrician. Yeah. Right. Like what, how did that conversation go? And like, yeah. how would you recommend that somebody that's in that place approach that? Well, the thing is, like, the number one thing is you have to understand when you when you make that transition from seventeen to eighteen, you know, just because just you know, eventually you're gonna turn eighteen, right? Um, you have to understand you're gonna have a lot more freedom and a lot more power just by virtue of the fact that society is gonna look at you as an, an adult. adult, an adult. Um, they're gonna society is gonna expect you to make choices. When I went to college, uh. There was nothing that my parents could have done to stop me from going into like psychology. Mm-hmm. They can't pick your major for you, right? They don't need to sign a permission slip to override um, yeah. you know, a major change. They don't need to drop classes. So the thing is, you have to understand, you have a lot of power when you're an adult and you turn 18. The second thing is, you have to understand, like, in, in our society, and I think in in, in basically the entire world, there's this notion that like, um, you know, your family is always going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, that is true. And I do believe that. But like the thing that people don't talk about, and I feel like the conversation that needs to happen that people necessarily aren't ready to have is your family is also going to hold you back. Like the, like you, the people that you have to like talk to, or even like just straight up fight with the most so that they can like understand who you are and what you are. Like I'm a, I'm a person that likes people, but I'm also what I am is, uh, you know, a guy that under like is just has a good intuition about people, and I also like to create things and build things. Like trying to explain that, I mean, it's just something you have to do. Like you're gonna have to like sit down, and you might have to get into a fight, and that's not something that children want to do with their parents. But your parents aren't living your life for you. Like they want to live. You know, parents want to live vicariously through their children, but it it just is not going to happen. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get in some trouble for this episode, <laughs> but, but I'm not gonna Ooh. stop it because I agree with it 100. Yeah. Like, percent I agree I, with I everything it. you're saying. So, the, yeah. the only caveat that I have to it is I feel like there's um, <clears throat> at least some people that uh, I've known that students feel that they can't go back on what their parents want them to do because they're the ones footing the bill for it. And Mm -hmm. that's very much like kind of the case with my girlfriend and whatnot. Like Mm -hmm. she very much lucked out that she loves occupational therapy. And that's after a switch from PT to OT as well as she's really good at it. But I don't know how many times in the last three years I've heard after watching binge watching four hours of a crime scene investigation that she would have loved to gone to school to be a crime scene investigator. Right. And like, if you're really passionate about it, I mean, there's nothing to say you can't get into that now or later in life or whatever. Right. Granted, she does like what she's doing, but never in a million years would she, I don't think she would have come home and turned around and been like, yeah, not going to be PT anymore. I'd rather, you know, check out dead bodies. Right. And that's just because, you know, her, uh, her parents and whatnot, footed the bill for all of undergrad and I think some of even her master's program that she's in now and whatnot. But uh, like you said, those individuals and those people that you're talking to, the ones that are closest with you is where communication is the biggest component that you have to have with them. Yeah. Because if you explain it to them in a way, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. you're like, it's not that I'm not good at it. It's not that I can't, grind it out and make it work right but that has a very short fuse on the time that i'm going to be you know in school yeah well not just that but out of school that that career like how how the the time period from me starting to yeah whatever else is going to come up way sooner than if it were something that i like to do right and i don't think any parent worth their two cents if you go to them and you explain to them this is something i'm really passionate about i think i can make a living doing it whether it be x amount of dollars or you know seven figures or whatever i don't think any parent if you really go and talk to them and they really have your best interest at heart or whatever are going to sit there and be like no we can tell you're miserable go back to school to being a doctor over I can see that this is something you really care about, that you're good at, that you mm-hmm. you know you've shown interest in, and you know you have our blessing or whatever to pursue right. it as a career until your heart's content. Right. I also would say like parents that foot the bill for their children going to college is like, well, you'd rather foot the bill and the person not do well in school in the classes or hate they, what they're doing or hate what they're doing and yeah. be miserable, or would you rather them be successful and you yeah. know that you helped pay for that? Exactly. Right. And well, and that's, that's my thing. So like when I was going to go join the military, mm-hmm. like it was not, 
necessarily super well received in my household. Right. Um, mostly because my mom grew up in like Slovakia with a, like a, a not so happy um, perception of what military meant. Right. Mm. Um, and then my dad grew up during Nam. Oh, wow. So that was like... Too bad, too bad perspectives. Yeah, and, and so when I said I was going to join, and I was also like a juvenile delinquent when I was in <laughs> high school. So like my dad was like, man, you're not going to make it. You're not cut you, for what this. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, uh, but then I ended up, I mean, I ended up joining. And it was the best decision I ever made. But it was because like um, I'm going to kind of, I don't even think you need your parents' blessing. Like if they're the ones footing the bill, then you should have that conversation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I would rather go in debt doing yeah. something that I'm happy yeah. and passionate doing right. than have somebody foot my bill. Right. And, and it's like people get so wrapped up in the money in yeah. the monetary thing. Yeah. They're like, Oh, I can't go into debt for college. Like they're paying for everything, all this other kind of stuff. It's hard not to, when you have a bill for $300,000 coming. Yeah. In yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> tough. It's yeah, a tough it, thing. It and it's, tough. But it's like, but it's like, I have gotten to the point where it's, you know, I'm potentially leaving nursing as a field and and looking at doing this full time, which I never thought was going to happen. Right. But I also like never thought that we would have something where we're, you know, interviewing fellow classmates that are pursuing cool majors and our own studio. Yeah. Our own studio and all that other kind of stuff. But it's literally because the amount of people that have called this stupid in the last three years is off the charts. (laughs) But also, it's just not understood. But mm-hmm. it's not understood. But yeah. as long as you understand it and you're passionate about it and it makes you happy, that's the, very easy. That's to... the conversation I think that needs to happen is yeah. what genuinely sets your ass on fire mm-hmm. and makes you happy. Like my grandpa always told me, he's like, if you find something that you're so good at that people want to pay you more because you're so damn good at it, mm-hmm. that's where the money is. It becomes so very easy it to convince a, people why it's important. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, what ended up happening with you, where yeah. you just like, you found something where you're like, I fit this so well mm-hmm. that I'm like, I have, there's no other option for the universe but to manifest this for me because exactly. I'm so happy with it. Exactly. Like I found my puzzle piece. Exactly, Mom, I made it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go. that's definitely it. Um, I think like a lot, a lot of people that have felt this way too. It's like if you look at uh, Apple, you look at Steve Jobs. Like the whole, the whole, uh, the the secret formula for Apple's success is the Stephen factors and user experience thing. Um, but the thing is, Steve Jobs, he was just uh, just. Uh, he had this intuition about him and this this ability to like understand what people would want that like they didn't already have. I mean, the uh, the iPhone or the uh, the iPod mm-hmm. when it first came out, like he understood that that was the thing that like when this hits the market, when it's out there for for uh, you know consumers, it, that's the thing that's gonna change everything like there this is gonna uh change how people listen to music this mm-hmm. is gonna change how people consume music and that and he, he did the same thing with um the iphone i mean when the iphone hit the market it overthrew blackberry mm-hmm. that, which was the biggest phone at the time it's all about you know understanding what it is that people don't have that they are going to love when it's out later there on so i guess i mean we, we and I'm not saying that we got off track or anything like that, but outside of doors, uh-huh. and I mean, you're slowly moving into, you know, 
modern technology and that right. that kind of stuff. Right. What is it exactly that you're you're looking at when you're at school and studying? Is that mm-hmm. kind of what it is like? Projecting and knowing what people want before they even know it want they want it or it exists in the first place. Um, not exactly. Um, that's very hard to do. Yeah, you gotta yeah, be, yeah no kidding. I mean, that's like that's a shot in the dark. <laughs> yeah, you you gotta be like, I mean, one in a billion type of person mm-hmm. like that. Um, no, my my study uh, and my research is really focused on um, essentially just products, and product mm-hmm. design, but also I'm doing work for the army. And um, also the uh, Air Force. The, so let's talk about Minecraft. Let's talk about Minecraft. <laughs> that that is like super intriguing to me. Yeah. So like I, that because that's the work that you've been doing with the Army and the Air Force, right? Has been yeah. kind of Minecrafty based. So uh, yeah, you're shooting me. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's it, no, I'm like it's on his resume. It yeah. literally says was looking. Hold on. Worked with a team on Air Force funded project that used Minecraft to simulate urban search and rescue techniques. What? Yeah, I could. I mean, I could see how it'd be I- implemented. You can build anything in that. You game can build game. anything. <laughs> it's a. It's a. Minecraft is a very good research platform for uh, low fidelity testing. Um, so basically, what we did was uh, simulated uh, an urban search and rescue task. So one of the things that urban search and rescue professionals do is they look at collapsed buildings mm-hmm. or damaged buildings um, and they have to go in, in those, you know, like in those buildings and, and find people mm-hmm. that have been trapped. Um, the thing that we wanted to do was study human robot interaction because uh, robots are being used more and more in um, urban search and rescue. So if you can, basically what we did was we created a damaged office building that had fire um, and like collapses and blockages mm-hmm. and victims spread throughout the building. And um, what we wanted to do was study how people and these robots are going to communicate so that they can complete this task of searching the building. And getting people out. Yeah, for and getting people out. Uh, and that was all done in Minecraft. Wow. And now um, my professor, uh, Nancy Cook, shout out to Nancy Cook, um, just got a $2.8 million grant, and we're now doing um, more Minecraft study, uh, again, doing urban search and rescue, um, because we're now looking at like more uh, sophisticated robotic agents that are going to be able to help. Um, we don't build robots. We don't build... I mean, I'm not an engineer. I'm a scientist. I study communication. Uh, even though the, the major is human systems engineering, I always tell people that we're not engineers, we're scientists. So um, my research primarily focuses on the communication between humans and like autonomous agents. Autonomous meaning they have autonomous capabilities such as being able to communicate or being able to um, take in stimuli from the environment and then project that to people like this, is, this thing just showed up or the ability to make decisions on their own depending on what it is that they're perceiving. Like things that possess like an AI, AI kind of thing yeah, almost? Artificial intelligence. Yep. So, so that, that kind of makes me curious. Like what is your perception on how AI is going to affect mm-hmm. how we interact with the world right. or how like people, I mean, people have this conspiracy that Alexa is like Terminator. Right. Right. But yeah. like, how do you perceive artificial intelligence in the next five years? So I, I, 
the way I kind of break it down is there's there's two types of fears. One I call it an unrealistic fear, uh, like a sci-fi fear, and the other one is more realistic. Um, the unrealistic is all of these things that people say, like robots are going to take over the world, Skynet, the whole that, shebang. Exactly, iRobot. Um, yeah, and then well, I haven't heard of that movie in a while. <laughs> it's a classic. And then, uh, which I don't think is ever going to happen. I don't ever th- think we're going to have fully autonomous. Uh, technology. It just wouldn't make a lot of sense having robots walk around like humans do. The whole idea of inventing uh, automated technology is to help people with whatever they're already doing. To augment. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the other type of fear is a more realistic fear and it's the fear that people are going to lose their jobs uh, mm-hmm. in the future. I feel like that that is something that's going to happen. Um, you see it now with um, those kiosks if you ever go to a fast food restaurant. Yeah, kind of order your own food. Yeah, so it's taking the human out of the loop. But I think on on the other hand, where some jobs are going to disappear because AI, there are probably going to be other jobs because AI always has to be monitored. Yeah, maintenance, whatever. So, um, I mean, it's just going to cause a shift. Exactly. You know, I mean, the industrial revolution caused a shift. I have a feeling. You know, they tell you to go to trade <laughs> schools and stuff because those are like welding and whatnot. I think right. there's going to be a massive boom in <laughs> trade related, you know, jobs when it comes to <clears throat> maintenance and <clears throat> assembly of artificial intelligences in the next five to 10 years or whatever. Because right. if uh, you, I'd be hard pressed not to see a trade school open up with, you know, uh, around multiple ones open up around the country with specifications and, you know, maintenance and operating of the operating systems or even like the direct mechanical um fixing or tweaking of artificial intelligence like that or like or like even just knowing okay hey you know this mechanical function is meant to be controlled by artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. you know how do i fix this mechanical thing that is currently broken even though the ai is telling it it's supposed to be doing something right like, what's the disconnect? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I, th- I think that there's just going to be a shift. Yeah. I think probably. that the world is is massively shifting. And, and like, kind of we talked before the mics came on mm-hmm. that the human is never going to be completely removed. But right. the Internet, artificial intelligence and everything like that is going to swallow and completely dismantle every norm that there is outside exactly. of brand recognition and the ability to communicate exactly. like if you can't communicate effectively and empathetically with your base right over the next five to ten years mm-hmm. it's going to get real weird it is for the, people. the only issue is is with a switch like that when it comes to technology and ai and robotics part of it as soon as they know that the formula works it can be mass produced and shipped in months Right. Where it takes probably years to get someone to dedicate themselves to that profession, to go to school for it, to learn how to fix it. Thus, we're already, you know, two to three years behind the technology that's already there. And that will be a rough two to five years. It's going to be an interesting It'll be a rough two to five years. But once people realize that this is the new standard of living, this is the norm, the technology, the AI that we're working with, and now I can go to school for you know minimal cost to learn about these things that 
now is on the, every street corner. The yeah. Artificial yeah. Intelligence yeah. Institute founded by Shways Bahati and there there RJ Holiday. baby. There it is. You know, we're going to be listening to this show five years from now and be like, I told you guys. <laughs> it's not going to be us. It's just going to be robots talking in place for us. Right. <laughs> so, so the, the Minecraft, like the, what like exactly goes into you like do you build a a building and then like try to figure out how the robot interprets what that building is doing because you said that you're not the engineer right right which is kind of how i initially pictured it right right where it was like okay we're gonna build this fake building and then figure out you know what is the robot gonna do how are we gonna build the robot so that it goes through here but that's more the engineering side then right right so so you're studying how the information is communicated either from the robot to the human yeah. or from the human to the robot. Right. Okay. Right. So what does that look like as far as, you know, what exactly are you tweaking in the communication that increases the effectiveness of that robot? Right. So the idea is um, there's a whole field of study. It's like human robot interaction, human computer interaction. Um, what we're tweaking is interaction strategies. So basically for the, the experiment, uh, we had four different types of conditions. Either the robot just doesn't explain anything at all or the robot explains everything, even if you don't ask it to. <laughs> or the robot explains... Um, you need no basis? Yeah, when, or just when you ask. Mm -hmm. Or you, we prime the, the, the participant to ask questions. And so the idea is, you know, th this robot is... Um, it, it can move on its own. Right, and inside can, the game. Inside the game. Well, it, it's the Wizard of Oz style type of thing. Ah, it's so, man, the man behind the curtain. Man behind the curtain gotcha. type so of thing. So someone is controlling it. Someone is controlling but it. But you have that person working under those four conditions, right? And then you're observing and taking note right. on what the person is doing based on what the man behind the curtain's four operations right. are. Right. We have. Uh, uh, we make them. The, so the participant communicates with the Wizard of Oz person who's playing the role of the robot. Gotcha. Through a text chat system. Okay. So we look at that and see um, uh, how these communications uh, affected how well um, you know the people correctly identified victims because we have the participant mark on a map uh, of vict the victims of where they are and if they're alive or deceased. Gotcha. So the idea is um, because in the future, like like we said, you know they're gonna uh, automated technologies are going to aug augment uh, human tasks. In mm -hmm. order for that to happen, there needs to be communication. Mm -hmm. So people and robots are going to have to communicate and talk to each other. Now, my, I guess my biggest question here is, is the four operations that you're giving the robot mm -hmm. and all that, is it is it based on, are you basing this on technology that you already know is kind of like here and workable? Mm -hmm. uh, that's Pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, communication abilities for automated technologies are improving rapidly. Gotcha. Uh, it's just um, something that needs to happen uh, mm. just because, you know, AI is taking over everything. You need to be able to communicate with it. Mm. And so the way, you know, AI, basically the way it works is it takes in a lot of data, machine learning mm -hmm. type of thing. It takes in data and then basically outputs something, whatever it is, uh, to the human. Hopefully, it's something that the human understands. Um, so the idea is so you're fine tuning it. Fine tuning it goes the from ones and zeros to beeps and boops into <laughs> unlegible English into something that is easy and quick for someone to recognize, know why they're doing it, when it needs to be done, and how it's going to get done. Right. 
Uh, I like it. <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like that transition. Um, and this is an artificial intelligence, but this is just like where my brain went mm. with user experience. Yeah, yeah, I know there was a big shift in the last. I think it was just in the last three years from exit signs being red to being green mm -hmm. because deep down, like people were not running out of buildings or missing exit doors because yeah. red is associated with stop right inside of our society. So they changed a lot of the exit signs to green. Yeah. As in like, the, you know, this is an exit. <laughs> you can run out of this right. door. Right. But that's, that's something that like, it didn't add two and two didn't really get put together for me until just now, you know, we're talking about user experience and like, what the perceptions are and how the human is interpret interpreting an output. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that something as simple as a color change. Right. Can yeah. completely shift how the human brain like acts in that split second. Or even like RJ brought up that horizontal handle versus a vertical handle exactly. yeah. on a door. Mm -hmm. So he, he, he's basically doing what we do when we put a show together. Yeah. We take a rough, like, you know, outline of like what we want to do. Mm -hmm. We record it. We file it down into, we keep filing it down until it's the most easily consumable product that we can ship forward. Right. And that's basically what you're doing for the side of how the ro robots and artificial intelligence is going to best, most effectively communicate with the person that it has to communicate with. Right. So, okay. That's awesome. So, obviously, the first testings within Minecraft went. I'm assuming pretty well to get such a highly monetary grant yeah. past your guys' way. So right. now that this second phase is going through, what changes? So that I'm not really too sure about. Mm -hmm. uh, we just we just got the grant. Um, Congratulations, by the way. That's thank awesome. Thank you. Obviously, uh, your work is doing something to fork up that kind of money. Right. Christ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, the, so it's the... We're meeting with other scientists. Mm -hmm. They're going to they're gonna come to ASU. Um, and I think then uh, that's when we're going to figure out exactly where we want to take the project. Gotcha. Um, they're going to come to ASU. They're going to look at our Minecraft. Uh, Have they been we, doing the same thing, but like yeah. on their, their own? I, I don't know. I, I don't think they've been using Minecraft. Maybe something else. Maybe something else. Um, and I don't think... Roblox? <laughs> <laughs> Um, connects, yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I think when we uh, when they come, that's when the decision is going to be made of what exactly do we want to use this grant money for, right. and use Minecraft right. for. Um, I know that there's uh, instead of like there being um, sort of a Wizard of Oz, there's going to be a new um, basically robot within the game that they're trying to implement with program mind. in there yeah, so it's yeah. an actual artificial intelligence yeah yeah nice well that I mean that only helps you because if it can actually learn from what you're doing then it's mm -hmm. just constantly upgrading itself right makes your job a little easier yep nice that's awesome i never mm -hmm. even thought thought of that as a possibility that's crazy god i love video games <laughs> <laughs> so on top of you know well, now that RJ's over nerding out over Minecraft, I'm going to nerd out over something that I sure, think yeah. is super What's your guys' cool. private server for that? Can uh, I get that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I get that? Me and my buddies would love to come and hang out. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, there's, there's this one, one bullet point mm -hmm. that like really, really stuck out to me on your, on your resume. Sure. Right. And it says that you're currently developing metrics for measuring team states. Yeah. Like, 
situational awareness, team trust, workload, and resilience. Yeah. Talk to me. Oh. <laughs> like, um, okay. So. Whisper these sweet nothings into the microphone. Because <laughs> this, this is stuff that I'm like, I will nerd out over. Uh-huh. Because I was the NCOIC of training at the 179th Airlift Wing for three years. Right. And when I took over that program, it's a program of 30 to 50 kids that are like 17 to I think the oldest person I had that enlisted was like 32 mm-hmm. into the military. And my job was to prep them to make them resilient, have them understand team situational awareness and critical thinking mm-hmm. before they went to boot camp. Okay. So I'm like super intrigued as to <laughs> what these metrics are because yeah. because the the base knows that we've seen an increase in retention and like um new enlistee satisfaction at the bottom of the totem pole mm-hmm. ever since I took over, but they can't figure out like why that is. Mm-hmm. So like the metrics would be sweet. Yeah. Um so this is this is uh, a different project. It's the one that's funded by the army. Um, so the idea is that in the future, the army wants to develop these tanks that are going to have autonomous capabilities. Um, under the guidance of my advisor, who's an expert in team communication and team cognition, uh, for the first year, what we basically did was um, work with two scientists, human factor scientists that work for the Army. We conducted subject matter experts with uh, former tank commanders to learn about what basically how a tank platoon runs. Um, We were also fortunate enough to have a former tank commander on our team who's uh, doing his PhD. Um, And we also traveled into um, Boston for an Army Research Lab Summit. Basically, for that first year, though, under do, doing all of those things and also reading literature and studying army doctrines and manuals, we basically came up with this taxonomy of communications that we thought were going to be important in order for these tanks to communicate effectively with human soldiers. Hmm. And then moving on to the second year, we identified four team states that we thought were absolutely important. So that's the situational awareness, the trust, the workload, and the resilience. We're trying to develop metrics to measure all of those things. So for mm-hmm. my thesis, for my <clears throat> master's, I'm looking at team trust. Right now, in the existing literature, there's no metric that exists for appropriately calibrating trust because you can't just have good trust, right? Trust is buildable. Right, it's it's a very and it's um, easily losable. Exactly, so it's yeah. a very dynamic and it fluctuates all the time. Um, so I'm looking at how these tanks can use this ability to push information onto soldiers mm-hmm. as a way of possibly measuring trust. Because if I, if you're pushing more information onto me that I need, but I'm not, I I don't have to ask you for it, I might have higher trust. Mm. Whereas if you're not pushing information, but you have it and I need it, then I might have lower trust. Mm, yeah, fair enough. I mean, and so so there's there's two examples that I'll bring up that that kind of perfectly fit that, like with the team trust thing. Mm-hmm. So one is just my personal experience as an RN, 
is like I came into the ICU float pool as the first new grad to ever be hired at Altman into the ICU float pool. Mm-hmm. Like new grads have been hired in the step down float pool and everything else, but they hadn't really hired them into the ICU because they were like new grads going to kill somebody. Right. Like <laughs> right. they can't handle it. Right. You know what I mean? Which it's just a lot of pressure. Man. It's, and it is a lot of pressure. Yeah, and I like definitely. you definitely have to have a specific personality and low key kind of a chip on your shoulder. Right. To make it through learning three ICUs and the ER in under a year. Um, but in order to gain that trust of like the experienced ICU nurses, mm. like the advice that I give to some of the people that got hired in after me is like, even if you know what medication you need to give, ask them anyway. And like, I'll, don't play stupid, but like ask them between this medication and this medication that are similar yeah. and then have them pick it for you and draw them in as a mentor mm-hmm. because it'll make them trust you more because they know that you're willing to ask questions. Yeah. Even if it's like, I did that all the time. It was just like, Hey, like I'm going to hang this fluid on this patient. Do you think that that's a good idea? Mm-hmm. Little stuff yeah. that just like increased their confidence that I wasn't going to do something that I wasn't comfortable with. Right. And then the other side of it is that I was watching a Simon Sinek video the other day and I know that seals actually have a metric for this i mean it's not a calibrated usable trackable metric but they have this thing as far as like optimal performance versus highest trust yeah yeah, yeah. and you're actually looking for people that are kind of higher on the trust spectrum and a mid-level performer those people tend to do better in the special forces world yeah because the people that are the high performers but have no trust Lone wolves. Yeah, they 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 operate better solo. Right. They're they're not a team dynamic person. Right. Somebody could have you know extremely high trust and be a bottom third performer or a medium level performer. Yeah. And as long as they they maintain proficiency, yeah, yeah. they tend to do better in that team setting. Right. And and that's kind of how I view like our team with Apex is that we're all kind of like mid level performers, but we trust each other so much. Yeah that we can all operate pretty much independently. But it makes it better when we're bouncing ideas off of each other. Right, right. because that trust level is so high. Yeah. And it's and it's I I think that that's phenomenal that you're actually that we're trying to trying to find a calibrated way to bring that human trust back into the conversation. Yeah. Because I think that it's been so focused on performance right for the last 10 years or 20 years. Yeah easy i mean forever apparently because if there's no literature on trust metrics then right we've never really been focused on it but like if if people are able to trust each other in the workplace there is a massive difference in the ability for the team to function cohesively right like i mean it's and that's insane. all that's all different too because it depends on the workplace as well i mean you go into the military assuming that you're working with people closely because everybody has their best interests at heart well, when you go and work in a cubicle, <laughs> right. you're basically pre-trained to know that that son of, son of a bee over there is going to try and take my job the minute that he can because right. it nets him more money and nets him more status in the company, right. whatever. Right. And then you have people withholding information, purposely stepping on each other's toes. Thus, then the company you know, starts going down on its own anyway because right. you have no one working together. So I think that is right. like a cor- in in corporate business sense. I think that is a uh, a common occurrence and thought that a lot of it, like lower level employees have. Right. Um, that 
I mean, can definitely be mitigated based on a company's incentives and the way that they structure their hierarchy within the company. So did you pick trust or were you assigned it? Um, I picked it. I remember um, when I was writing um, my personal statement when I was applying to uh, OSU, I wrote about trust and how people perceive technology. Um, so when it came time to like pick a thesis topic, um, I just picked trust again. Do you then, uh, do you think most people trust the technology that they use every day? I think I think most people do. I think there's an issue with um, sort of these big companies and transparency. Um, transparency in the sense that like. Well, you know they collect your data. Yeah. But you don't know what they do with it gotcha. necessarily. Oh, yeah. Many um, a times have I been talking about like Chipotle or some type of food at the gym where I'm not on my phone, but yeah. I'm like listening to Pandora. Right. And then all of a sudden, two songs later, come on down to Jimmy John's. We'll get yeah. you. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? Exactly. I've never heard a Jimmy John's thing on here ever. Exactly. Not once. Yeah. I literally just talked about it. I don't know if that's, you know, yeah. uh, like, what do they call it? Passive, like audio. No, it's a uh-huh. correlation isn't causation or right, whatever. Right, right, but yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. like, this is pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> you got bias confirmation. And right. stuff. It's a, it's also I think um, people's concerned with their personal privacy. Mm. Yeah. Um, because I mean, there's no secret. I mean, Google's admitted this. They they do listen to you. They're all of Google devices. They they're constantly listening to you. Um, I think people trust their technology. <laughs> get rid of my phone right now get out um, but I think it's just um, but what, that what, once again can be mitigated if there's yeah. a level of transparency but within the company it's like right. hey yeah we're recording you it's really hard not to it's very difficult to turn on and off a mic or on, especially when you know two thirds of the population all have some type of you know basically recording device they exactly. call them cell phones they call them but they are record. They are right. just recording everything that you do. Right. I go, if there's that level of trust, like you said, between right. the company that is putting out this de- these devices and the, the end end consumer, yeah. you can clear up that communication line of like, okay, yes, we're taking this information, but, but it's it not So to, we can send you a Jimmy John's coupon. Yeah, yeah. it's, not, it's exactly. not to sell you to other corporations and your information to other corporations, but... Yeah. To basically, at the end of the day, make your user experience as easy and as seamless as possible. Mm-hmm. I find it very hard-pressed that anybody's going to be like, oh, wow, I guess I can be even more lazy because <laughs> when I just look at my phone and I think about Jimmy John's, yeah. I have a $15 off coupon that's already <laughs> there at my fingertips. Right. I, I, I mean, exactly. if it were for Wendy's... Yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> Sign my ass up. <laughs> if every time I clicked my phone on, there was a coupon for a spicy number 11 deal, I'm done. <laughs> Sell my soul to the Wendy's devil. Because, <laughs> because, Jesus. You're just on your phone, spicy number 11, 11 Wendy's. It's here. It's, it's already here. at the it's door. Exactly. To, that my phone knows that I was thinking about it. Yeah. So he called me an Uber Eats. And the minute I get up from this interview, there's a man downstairs waiting with a spicy number 11. <laughs> Done. Exactly. <laughs> I'm done. High levels Basically, of trust right put there. Put me in the oven. I'm done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that rabbit hole hard. Well, <laughs> I, I I'll be right into the show. How I don't. I guarantee I'm not the only one that would love that. Not just for Wendy's. Pick your favorite food place. I don't care what it is. 
Dunkin' Donuts coffee just delivered to you the inst- mm. the minute you wake up because your phone knows when your alarm set, so it orders it 15 minutes early. Deal! <laughs> Dude. <laughs> spicy number 11s are a very important thing to have a conversation yeah, you just about. Keep, you just keep saying it over again. Spicy number 11, spicy number 11, spicy number 11. It's got onion straws, <laughs> queso cheese, bacon, jalapenos. Yes. You trying to get, by far you trying to get haul up in that sandwich, I'm, aren't you? I already know what I'm getting after this. <laughs> oh my god! But anyway, well, there's our rabbit hole for the, for the show. There always has to be at least one. There always has to be at least one. He it's has culture to check it off point. his list. Yeah, it is culture. No, I mean the listeners are going to be ticked because it took 58 minutes for us to rabbit hole. Yeah, I got most it. of the time. I got you, happened. fam. Most of the time it happens within the first 10 or 15 minutes. I waited. Yeah, you were patient this time. Mm-hmm. Um, Prime opportunity to talk about Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. So so with the trust and everything, mm-hmm. right, I kind of want to shift it into just kind of like the episode wrap-up, right? Okay. So I, I was looking at these questions um, and the, the ones that we normally ask people, and I mm-hmm. think that there's one that really stands out to me that I think <coughs> will, will kind of open up sure. the door for you to, to really impart like the wisdom that you've gained over the experience that you've had between um, leaving pre-med, picking yeah. a new major, going into a field of psychology that professors didn't know about, right? Um, and everything else. If So the question is this. If you could have a billboard anywhere okay. with anything on it, mm-hmm. right? And theoretically, millions of people are going to pass this billboard on a daily basis okay. and pay attention to what it says. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> what would you put on that billboard and why? Like what would you want those millions of people to see? Oh man, it's only one thing. <laughs> well, so I mean just kind of like like I mean we were talking about like what your your message was this entire episode like mm-hmm. and so I'm assuming, you know, what do you wish that you would have known? Like if yeah. you were going to put that on a billboard for those people to see, what would it be? Um I think I think um it's just basically, I think you have to just be true to yourself. You know, you can't lie to yourself and just be like, I'm going to do this thing because um, someone, else wants someone else wants me to. And, you know, I guess I can be successful in it. Like, you're going you're gonna to end up hating your life it, you, or you're going you, you're gonna to be miserable. So I guess on that billboard, what I would want people to understand or the message I would want to give people is you got to take, you got to bet on yourself. Um, this whole game of life is a gamble. Anyone you know, like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, oh gosh, Dr. Dre, you know all these guys. Oh, the wow, man. the man. We got man. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Dr. Dre in all the same the, room at the same time. Exactly. What a conversation that would be. And all these guys are are successful and like the the top of their fields because they just took a chance on themselves. They knew what they wanted. They knew what they were passionate about. Um, they just studied so hard, and they never stopped studying. They never stopped learning about it. Um, so it's you. You have to find something that's passionate, and you just you can't listen to anyone. You can't listen to anyone. You have to. You have to know what you like. You have to know what you want to do. Um, but you got to take that bet on yourself. You got to take that bet. Like you know, my parents probably won't support this. People probably won't understand what it is, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, if you want 
just even the tiniest aspect of amazing in your life, the tiniest aspect of like, oh my God, I can't believe this is the life I'm living. You got to be willing to take that risk and take that chance. <laughs> I'm going to start foot stomping and clapping up in here. It's about to turn into church. Like, amen, hallelujah. Like somebody else that we've interviewed. And, and it's kind of been a theme with some of the guests that we've had, but mm. holy crap, was that articulated well. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm going to steal that 100%. Ahead, you know what man. I mean? Just like you have to be willing to bet on yourself because yeah. nobody else is going to. That's the, I mean, in that I think that really hits home for, for Apex in general mm-hmm. and like what we've been doing the last couple of years. Cause like, I remember when we first started blogging, yeah, like people were like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> or even like when me and Popio first started recording, it was still, why are you wasting? Like, why are you doing this? Or, like, the biggest thing that we've gotten is, like, oh, that's a cute hobby. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's like, mm, that really grinds my gears. Very but, condescending type of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and almost, and that's that's the thing. Like, I don't understand people's, like, yes, you have to bet on yourself, and that's tough. It's really hard to do. Right. But we could all make it easier on people to bet on themselves and take risks if we weren't such dickheads to each other when right. people are trying to pursue things outside of the box. Exactly. Like, yeah. I like a lot of the content that I post is literally giving permission to people like even if they don't know me to just be like, Hey, if you're thinking about doing this, take the leap. Like I'll be waiting at the bottom of the mountain with a blow up mattress. Exactly. But you have to take the jump. If nobody else is telling you they believe in you, Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now in this post that I believe in you. Exactly. And like your journey is just a massive testament to that exact concept. Yeah. No, if if you, this is to all the people listening, all the high schoolers and the young college kids, if you know that you're passionate about something but you're not doing that thing right now, stop what you're doing. At this very moment, you got to stop what you're doing and you, you got to just go for it. Talk to who you got to talk to. Life's too short, man. Life is too short. You got to talk to who you got to talk to, yeah. fight with who you got to fight with. But at the end of this day, you make sure that when you wake up tomorrow, you make some changes in your life because you don't know when you're going to die and you don't know, you, you don't know if you can, if you're going to love listen, what, what, doing what someone else told you to do. Mm-hmm. Make some changes and I promise you, you'll be glad you did. As long as you're not doing something that like where you're hurting people. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Or, yeah, yeah. As long as you're not doing something that like, Ruins your reputation, like, right? All these voices. <laughs> yeah. I need to... Ah, serial Boom. murderer. Here we come. <laughs> no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Um, but no, if, if, if there really is just something that you, you're truly passionate about, make some changes today. 2020s in a month, man. Exactly. Things, big things are about to change. Anything. Yeah. I truly yeah. believe at this point, they're like career-wise and... Um, you know, standard of living and all that that kind of stuff. You you can make a living in today's day and age doing anything that you're passionate about. Exactly. There is someone somewhere that wants to see you do what you enjoy doing, as well as willing to pay you buku amount of money to do it. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. you have a five hundred thousand dollar distribution capable device in your 
pocket. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's 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 really no excuse it, for anyone not to put themselves out there in that in, in today's It's just day a content game. Yep. You got it. You got to brand yourself, and you got to like that's like you said. You need to do what you're passionate about, and in order to do that, you have to brand yourself as the that person. Mm-hmm. Like you have to step into those shoes and start becoming that person. And I will say one thing because we we did say like you know life is short. Yeah. We'll start now, but if you're if you're in your twenties or your thirties. And you want to make some changes? I would say go ahead and do that. I don't yeah. care if you're if you're a high school. It kid. doesn't matter, eh? No, you could be. Your my mom is in her. She's going to be in her fifties yeah. coming up here soon, and is like pursuing her master's in education. Exactly. Yeah. It's never. It's, too it's late. never too late to that's, pivot. That's an interesting thing, though, because like your mom, she's fifty today, right? Yeah. If she was fifty thirty years ago, she would have been in the third quarter of her life. But right. today, yeah, she's at halftime. Yeah, yeah, basically. She's at yeah, halftime. Yeah. You're right. So she's got, like, you, there's never too late. The people are going to live so many longer lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, my dad is still consistently learning. He's 64. Sorry, Dad, if I don't. I'm on <laughs> 62. It's all right. But, like, I mean, he's 64 where it's like he is still consistently going to conferences, learning about equipment. Like he just loves his job. He loves selling medical equipment because he knows that the equipment that he sells and these new lines that are need to be adopted into healthcare systems because he's a distributor are like saving lives. And so like, he's so on fire about it. And that's what really set that in motion for me as a kid was just like, I see how much my dad like, has the ability to sell an ice cube to an Eskimo or a pork chop to a rabbi. Exactly. And yeah. like, I want to be in a place where I'm so passionate about it that it's easy. Yeah. Because it's natural. Exactly. Yep. And like that, that whole premise, like you, a, you don't have to have your life figured out at 18. Nope. You don't have to have your life figured out at 25. Nope. You don't have to have your crap figured out at 30. Like the older that I get, the more that I realize that we're just like internally still five-year-olds, still kind of rambling around trying to figure out what the <laughs> is going on. Exactly. <laughs> and we're just like got <laughs> fancy pieces of paper that make people think that we understand something yeah. more in depth about how the world works. But in reality, we're just like, what's happening? Yeah. 99.99% of the time. Like the more I learn, the less I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and if that's your approach, then that's yeah. that's positive. And there's yeah. some people that like the more that they learn, the the greater the expert they are, and then they're the ones, you know, trying to sell you on their $15 million idea in a Facebook or a Facebook ad funnel. <laughs> yeah. And and you're like, mm, "Bro, What's like like do you actually own an LLC or you just Trying to sell me a course for five thousand dollars that's worth ten thousand dollars. Where'd you get that price from, dude? Okay. Um, the last one. So, if you had to give any piece of advice to somebody that wants to go into human factors psychology, what would it be? Um, it would be first number one, depending on. Whatever it is you want to do, if you want to be a researcher, if you want to be a user experience designer or user interface designer, um, you're never going to know everything. And don't feel like you have to. Because I remember when I was starting my master's, um, I felt like I, I knew nothing. And because it was like grad school, I felt like there was this expectation to know a lot. Um, but there, there's 
you're never going to be able to know everything you need to know. Um, and with that being said, um, because you are, if you are, if you go into grad school or if you, you know, graduate college and end up getting a job as a user experience designer, there are going to be opportunities that come your way um, where you're not going to, you're not going to feel qualified. I would say take those opportunities anyway and then learn what you need to learn afterwards. Mm. Um, I like that. Because uh, I feel like a lot of people, they just feel like they need to know everything before they do something. Yep. And growth, growth doesn't happen unless you stretch. Exactly. Yep. You have to stretch a little bit beyond your limit mm-hmm. in order to grow. Exactly. So yeah. uh, I would say take take the opportunities that, that scare you or you feel like you're not ready for, and then just work every single day to be the best that you're hired to be, whether that's a researcher or a designer. I like it. You got anything else, RJ? No, I can't. I mean, he's he's a beautifully spoken individual. So. Yeah, I mean, I I, it's, it's, I almost feel personally to, attacked because, like, I, I I consider myself a relatively well articulated human, but I feel like I'm just getting demolished. No, <laughs> so, no there's no no I, no I, need to reinvent the wheel. No, I don't particularly think of myself as a well articulated human. So this, <laughs> no, you, no, you, no, you no, extremely well. This is, yeah, this is phenomenal. I mean, all all of the points and 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 the way that you you speak so passionately about what you do is just, I think, is really going to be able to impact people. So, I mean, thanks for you know stopping by over your Thanksgiving break. I yeah, know thanks that, for making the you time. Know, you only well, have a you limited guys. amount thank of time you. while yeah. back in Canton before you have to go back to Arizona. Right. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come Problem down. Problem at all. This was fun. For yeah, sure. I enjoyed I'm glad this you a had lot. a good time. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Good. Everybody comes on here and is like, yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, with that, as always, if you would like to support the Apex podcast, um, the easiest way to do so at this point is to share our message. You know, if there's somebody that you know of that needs to hear what we talked about today or in any other episode, because I know that y'all are listening and not sharing it 100% of the time because... Otherwise, our, our numbers would be substantially higher. We see you. We watching. I'm watching. So AI you is watching. So sure that you share. Um, yeah, yeah. AI is watching. Google Home yeah, knows. We know. <laughs> they tell us. So Shways is d- developing a system for us so we know when you listen and do and don't share. Yeah. So, so if there's, I mean, you should be doing that for every episode. If there's an episode that you think that somebody inside of your friend group needs to hear, share it with them. It's not that hard. Just give them the message because that's what we're all about. We're about trying to change these conversations that are being had and and put those seeds into people's heads so that they can grow into harvests eventually. You know, we're not looking at changing things right now, but we want to make sure that things are in the right momentum, that in the next five years, that we can all be having these conversations and be in a successful place together. Mm-hmm. And we're all chasing the apex together. That's the entire point of the movement. Mm-hmm. Um and with that, we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.